Hello, everyone. Welcome to Creation.Live. I'm your host, Trey. In each episode of this show, ICR scientists gather with subject matter experts, apologists, and other special guests to discuss pressing issues, whether that be ICR's current research, something new that's come to light in the scientific community, or something else entirely that ultimately impacts how science points to our creator, the Lord Jesus Christ. We hope that these conversations are encouraging and enlightening in an increasingly chaotic world. I have with me today my co-host, Lauren. Hello. Uh, our special guest for today, Josh Timonen. Thanks uh, for having me. Yes, absolutely. And of course, for the science side of things, we have uh, ICR's president, Dr. Randy Galuza. Thank you. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you all so much for being here. Uh, Josh, um, special guest of today. Uh, we are just really, really excited about having you on. Um, and I'll keep a little bit of a secret, so I'm not going to just throw it out there. Um, but... I know that you used to work uh, for a prominent atheist evolutionist. Um, so that's that's the big thing right here, right here today. Uh, but before we get into that, can you tell us about uh, uh, just a little bit about like your uh, upbringing and what led you to work for uh, an atheist and an evolutionist? Yeah, um, I grew up uh, in a Christian home in Oregon. Uh, that's where I grew up, and. Uh, you know, as a child, I, the church I went to, I don't think we did a lot of apologetics, I would say. It was fairly light on that. You know, we read the King James Bible and uh, was, was fairly uh, reserved. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, as I grew into my teen years, I started playing music and started to wanting to venture out and strayed away from the church, basically, um, and uh, moved to California when I was about 18 to play music. And uh, it sort of just drifted away from that, unfortunately. Um, did you have uh, an exciting music career in California? <laughs> uh, I did a few things, yeah, okay. for sure. Um, you know, I could, a few stories there. Um, I sang a lot in church back when I was a child. I, I think that definitely uh, helps a lot. You know, it's one of the things easy to overlook that, yeah. you know, people who don't go to church don't sing a lot when they're kids. Um, and uh, I toured a bit, did some, uh, some albums. Um, I have a couple songs that do end up getting played uh, on movies, on cable television in the middle of the night uh, in the United States or uh, in Romania or wherever it is. <laughs> so uh, that's that's about my only claim to fame there, but it was a lot of fun and uh, cut my teeth playing and learning to play music there. Cool. But yeah. how, how old were you when you when you left home and, and you went off to California? I, I was 18, yeah. 18. So I was kind of as soon as I could, you know. Uh, <laughs> I, I was a, a tech guy and I, I did a lot of tech work before that and uh, kind of had one of those moments where I was like, I'm not doing this. I'm getting out of here. <laughs> I got to go play music. So we moved and, uh, or I moved by myself to California and, uh, lived there, uh, playing music. And I met my wife down there. Uh, and so, uh, she worked in the film industry and, uh, met her through, uh, a drummer that I played with. And so, All right. uh, yeah, so we, we got started down there and, uh, and while we were together, um, we were both, uh, well, she was, I guess I shouldn't speak for her. She was kind of like on the fence about, you know, I was a little bit more of a hard atheist, I'd say mm, at that okay. time and um, had, had read a lot of modern atheist authors and uh, had sort of started buying into it at that point. And, and uh, I think the thing I'd say about it now is that I, I read just enough to buy into it, right? Like mm -hmm. you, it's not like I was some deep researcher in, in this field. Like it was, pop level science yeah. kind of yeah. thing. Yeah. And you think, well, I've thought about this more than I think my parents have. So here I am. And, and I'm 18 and I know better. Absolutely. <laughs> I did. Right. 
So I ended up, uh, you know, at that point, I felt I was an atheist. Um, my uh, now wife uh, was girlfriend then, and, and she was kind of on the fence about it all. Right. And uh, But we were kind of finding our way in the world, and I was playing music, and we, she was also getting involved in this nonprofit where we uh, um, we were going on this trip to India for a month, and uh, it was uh, sort of this um, helping women with, with loans and then uh, helping them with farming and getting started on some new farms. And so... Uh, and at the same time, I had been doing a lot of web freelance work. So, you know, a lot of times music doesn't pay the bills. So you're, right. you end up of course. finding other things to do. And I was a tech guy. So I, I was like, all right, well, I'm doing websites for bands and other, uh, some small movies. I would do a website for them. And uh, I had gone on this blog and I saw that uh, Dawkins had just put out Root of All Evil, this documentary in the UK and, uh, you know, an anti-religion documentary. Mm-hmm. And so I... I said, oh, he doesn't have a website. And this guy on this blog actually had Richard's personal email. He's like, oh yeah, I can give you this. Uh, just don't publish it, you know, but if you right. want to send him an email. And so I right, shot what, what year is this? This was 2006, probably okay. the summer of 06. Okay. And so I shot him a quick email and he wrote back, you know, of course, eight hours ahead in the UK from I was in LA. So uh, he wrote back real fast and he's like, yeah, I'd be interested in that, you know, uh, and I don't know if he thought I was more than I was. I was just some kid, you know, <laughs> who can build websites and played in bands. So, uh, but I managed to get in contact with him a bit further, some of his people that he worked with. And, um, and then I said I was going on this trip to India. I was like, oh, I'll be coming back through. If you want to meet up, we can say hi. And so, again, maybe he thought I was more than I was, that I was some jet setter. But no, right. it's just, this was a, this a kid's volunteer trip. Yeah, <laughs> it sounded big. <laughs> So, but we met and, and I think we hit it off just as people. And, yeah. uh, and I said, yeah, I'll, I'll build up a site for you. And I went back home and just collected a bunch of articles from all over the web that he had uh, written in different places, put together richarddawkins.net. .com was taken, as oh. that usually happens. And uh, so we put that together and uh, um, it was right around the time of the God Delusion being mm-hmm. launched, the book. So uh, that kind of blew up and the website blew up at the same time and really took off and grew really fast. And so I worked for him for about four years uh, from then. And we, you know, grew closer, you know, we traveled a lot together and I I started doing more stuff than the web. We were doing filming, uh, videos and uh, t-shirts, DVDs, all sorts of things like that. So So at the time, where did your beliefs line up? Like, was this a really, really good job opportunity or were you completely on board and you believed that this was a cause that you really wanted to push for? I was pretty on board with it as, as a cause. You know, I was thinking, um, I should say, I think back then, and I think this is for a lot of atheists, maybe I speak somewhat for them. Uh, I should just speak for myself. Uh, I always think of it as like, you think, well, uh, religion gets in the way as an atheist. We hear think, that a lot. Right? <laughs> like there's this utopia in store for us. If we can just get past all of this crufty religion and we'll come out to the promised land, right? And I think that's kind of the promise of new atheism and thinking that if we can just shed that, we'll get into a better place. And so that's kind of the moralistic argument that I think I was in line with at the time. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm actually curious about the story kind of goes and has this abrupt change. You're home in Oregon, you're going to church, everything's mm-hmm. fine. And the next thing I know, you're in California and you're an atheist. So mm. was there a period of time when you were still at home in church 
where you began having questions or doubts? And were these questions ever answered at church or did they go unanswered? How did how did you make that little transition? I, I think there's a lot of families oh, sure. and a lot of parents who have kids right at that point and they're and they're and they're wondering, here they are, home with us. They're um, everything seems to be going okay from what they can see. And the next thing you know, they're out of the house and they they're they're heartbroken because now their kids tell them they've abandoned the faith. Mm-hmm. Was there a was there an evolution to your um, becoming an Ooh. atheist? Was there yeah. a was there a transition? How, how what was in your brain? We well, you know my mom's going to watch this now. Mom, it's all your fault. <laughs> yeah, no, uh, you, no, that's a great point, and it's actually something now today I'm really trying to get involved with because I think that age is so critical. Mm. You know, like 15 to 20, let's mm-hmm. say, um, it's such a formative time and. If I look at my own trajectory, I would say before then, I was very, uh, my, my apologetics were non-existent. I didn't have any defense. And it felt very thin to me at the time. Yeah. Um, it's not that they didn't exist out there, I just don't think that I was uh, exposed to it at the okay. time. So, uh, you know, reading the King James Bible Things felt a little crusty, felt mm-hmm. a little bit hard to discern. You know, I didn't really understand. Like I, I look back and I go, I didn't know that Paul wrote most of the New Testament, for example. Wow. Like I didn't know little things like that. It didn't. The picture wasn't very mm-hmm. clear. Claire. Other than, um, I knew the basic gospel story, and I knew, um, you know, I had some memory verses and things right. like that at that right. age. But I think it's when you're confronted with. Um, the criticisms of the world, you know, um, and obviously as soon as you're. Uh, into higher level public education, you're bombarded with um, the removal of God from from every explanation of the right, world, right? right? And ridiculed for belief. So th- that was all part of it for sure. Yeah. And I think at the same time, there's this feeling of uh, you're stepping out, you're, you're shedding your childish ways. And you're thinking, mm-hmm. well, that's probably part of this. Mm-hmm. Right. And I'm I'm growing up now, so I have my own beliefs now. <laughs> exactly, yeah. yeah. You 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 associate belief in God with well, that's something that must have be from from childhood because there are these other people that I'm talking that that don't have it. So mm-hmm. this must be the next phase. This must be what I grow into. Well, and even not having the apologetic side of things, obviously, Scripture is enough. It stands on its own two feet. But apologetics really really help build out our faith because a lot of times our world is telling us that science fact are totally separate from religion and faith. Mm-hmm. When in reality, they're completely intertwined. Either Absolutely. you believe the Bible's explanation and it's intertwined with the evidence, or you have faith in the evolutionary narrative or something else entirely. But I think that re- is really important. I think a lot of kids just walk away from the church because they don't have, they think that fact is separate from religion, yeah. when in reality, they both go together so well. And that's why we exist as ICR. Yeah. And that's so cool that that was important in your story as well. And that foundation truly like, uh, um, as as someone who is online frequently, I see lots of arguments from from atheists and 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 non-believers, and and there's this idea they'll be like, "Did you know that the Bible says this?" And they will completely misrepresent. So if you don't really know, like if you don't know what the Bible says, and you just have like this kind of vague knowledge, or like you said, a couple of sporadic memory verses you and out of you, you take things out of context uh, or you just don't understand it 
in its entirety. And then when you are encounter, you encounter so many people who are so against it, it's very easy to be like, well, maybe I don't know. And you know what? They sound really smart. And uh, sure, I'll go with that kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. yeah and I think that's um, this is a really good point to camp on for just a moment because, you know, nobody wants to lay a blame or do anything right. like this because we live in a culture where you know, that's <laughs> like one of the worst sins in the world is to be judgmental and lay a blame right. on something. But on the other hand, as a physician, if there's a problem, I want to know the problem and I want to implement some kind of mm -hmm. corrective action. So your testimony up to this point is very similar to a lot of testimonies. Mm -hmm. And really, in many ways, this is like a wake-up call to pastors across the country, across the world, that um, it takes a little extra work, it takes a little extra effort, but we need to get some training. We need to get some information we need to expose them. And, and even as like Trey just said, you know, you're going to run into people and they're going to sound really, really smart. You know, even if your pastor yep. said, this is what you're going to face. You're going to meet these people. They're going to sound really, really smart. But you really need to listen very carefully to what you're saying. And here's some ideas and here's some thoughts before you ever meet those people. Mm -hmm. So there's maybe a, a point where there could have been some interventions when you were younger that might have uh, kept you there. But then again, we wouldn't have had this great story. <laughs> so, I think you're absolutely right. You know, that time is so critical. And, you know, I, and I also think as a teenager, you're very good at being, um, this is going to sound terrible, but like a two-face, you know, mm, like maybe yeah. one way at home yeah. and mm -hmm. another way around your friends. Or, you know, I call it like the face you put on in front of grandma, you know, mm -hmm. like, you know, put on your nice words and be, mm -hmm. and be polite, right? right? And I think a lot of kids... You start doing that, and then before you know it, you know the parents have no idea mm -hmm. you know, where the, where the child really stands. Um, and, and I'm saying that I'm just guilty of that. Right? Yeah, <laughs> no, I was yeah, that right. kid. So you know that's where this can be really difficult um, because we're all trying to you know as as kids trying to appease you know our peers and our parents, right? And we're trying to see how we fit into everything. Um, and yeah, we're just bombarded by the world, mm -hmm. you know, with. Uh, with a secular viewpoint that's just, you know, it's soaked into everything now. Right, I and know. You can't avoid it. So, you know, I, I always think that, like, we had Sunday school and youth group, which are, which are pretty pretty kiddie exercises, right? We're not really getting anything too deep mm -hmm. most of the time. Mm -hmm. and Just getting some pizza, you know, right? yeah, pizza and games. And a lot of times youth group, I feel like the parents kind of feel like, well, at least the kids are not on the street, you know, they're not yeah. drinking yeah. and, you know. Right. And Which is a step in the right direction. <laughs> sure, yeah, it's better but not than far if they enough. were. Yeah. <laughs> but if you look at that and you say, that's not good enough for that mm -hmm. age, right? Like right. For, to prepare them for, if you go from, you know, pizza and soda, at least they're off the street to they're confronted with every secular idea, mm -hmm. you know, they haven't been equipped to to have that confrontation. Yet, well, just not to really underestimate cute. kids. Like they yeah. think about things. Yeah. I used to work in children's ministry at my church and one time this 12 year old walks up to me and you know, he's he's doing whatever activity is there. And then he just looks at me, he's like, can I ask you a question, Miss Lauren? I'm like, yeah, sure, what's up? He's like, can you tell me about the nature of God? I'm like, <laughs> and those kids are thinking and they don't yeah. always vocalize mm -hmm. it like this young man thankfully did. And he, he ended up asking more and more questions of a lot of the leaders. He came to a true saving knowledge of Jesus Christ um, oh. through the questions that he asked. 
there are a whole lot of kids that have those questions and they don't voice mm -hmm. them. Yeah. And my parents were really good at assuming that we were thinking about those things. Mm. So they would answer those questions whether we asked them or not. They would bring it up in family devotions and they would like they never made it a scary thing for us to go ask them questions. I remember one time I walked into my dad's office at home and I said, "Dad, why Christianity?" Mm. And he didn't balk at that. He just sat down and we talked it through and I think that's really important too, just to realize that a lot of times we underestimate kids because, you know, they act like kids. They're thinking through a lot of these mm -hmm. things starting at a very early age. And if you start interacting with that now, then they're not scared or overwhelmed or caught off guard when they start getting, everything's preaching at us. Everything's preaching. Mm -hmm. Preachers aren't the only ones that have mm -hmm. sermons. Everything we read, everything we watch, everything we listen to, every person we talk to is preaching. And if kids know from an early age how to interact with that, and they know the apologetics, like we've been talking about, mm -hmm. that show that what the scripture says really is true and matches up with reality, then they have just that foundation where they can move forward in confidence instead of being completely rocked yeah. um, by the things that they're presented with mm -hmm. later in life. Because it is overwhelming if you don't know it's coming. Yeah, right. It's really Absolutely. overwhelming. So you're working for Dawkins at this point. You're the... Uh, background media mastermind behind the whole operation at sure. Something yeah, like we'll, that. we'll go with that. <laughs> uh, we'll go with that. Yeah. And so, um, you're not actually out there doing any of like the science, the research, anything like that, but you are working closely with that sphere of influence with those uh, academic elites, uh, with those people who are very like, Hey, atheism is the way to go. I would like to know from your experience, what is it like to work so closely? Uh, I mean, cause you know, believe it or not, before I came to ICR, I had a job and a lot of my coworkers were non-believers, but they weren't, you know, that kind of, you know, they weren't an academic elite who's like atheism is the way to go, you know? Uh, so what is it like to work with some, with people who are so smart and who are so um, just, educated in this realm and who may honestly make their living off of that kind of thing. Uh, what was that like? Well, everybody's different. I think, uh, you know, each one, I, I did meet quite a few people, mm -hmm. you know, um, you know, Richard obviously is, is his own person, but he, he's a very intelligent person. He's, he's a very, uh, he's somebody who still can see the beauty in nature and he's very poetic in the way he writes and speaks. And I think that's what has drawn his audience mm. Um, he's somebody who can paint a picture, you know, mm -hmm. and tell a story really well. So I think that's done him really well in his career. You know, other people like Sam Harris, you know, a different kind of character. He's, he's a little bit more dry mm -hmm. and direct. Um, Not as engaging. Yeah. But, but still actually a very nice guy yeah. in person. Uh, and, uh, you know, other guys like, like Christopher Hitchens was just a character and, and, uh, sort of this crazy larger than life guy, um, and uh, was just somebody, everybody just was kind of, especially in the atheist world, you mm -hmm. know, super fans of him, I think. And, and he kind of lived that life, uh, unfortunately, to, uh, to his detriment. And, uh, um, but, you know, a lot of them, the ones who, uh, everybody kind of has their own little weird quirk, I think, to them, you know, in that space. There's, I don't want to say a narrow band of intelligence, because that would imply that it's, they're not fully intelligent, but there's definitely a higher band of intelligence, you know, for their chosen field where mm -hmm. they've, they've stuck with. And a lot of times maybe other things are less developed in, in how they, 
interact with the world or, you know, certain things, you know, Christopher Hitchens, for example, like refused to use email or like have me send him a video link or something, you know, he wouldn't use tech. So mm-hmm. there's some funny little quirks with people sometimes that you think, well, you're, you're a smart guy. I've read some of your books, you know, <laughs> it's like, don't send me an email. Give, yeah. Just give me the DVD, <laughs> you know, things like that, which are just kind of funny that uh, they're just different kind of people. Are there but, any common threads? So we have Hitchens, you've got Dawkins, you've got Sam Harris. You said they're all, they all have their little, you know, their little quirks and you know, things just like all of us do. But was there any common thing that's uniting them in their thinking? I mean, why are they all together? I know they're all atheists, but is there, was there a, a passion for their atheism? Was there something specific or different uh, about them that they would all come together? I think, I think Richard and Sam Harris really were, were very common in their, they really felt that religion was a danger, you know? Mm. And I think it was kind of this post 9-11 that they, they looked at that as the clarion call that we need to uh, put a stop to this. I see. And, um, and I think Richard has a very, uh, he kind of has an anger about it, you know, about, mm-hmm. especially about Christianity and, you know, it's very direct, he, 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 he's very unhappy about it. Mm. Um, which is interesting uh, that, he is very focused on it, but then he's also, you know, he he'll do things like at uh, Oxford, where you know he says like, "Oh, I don't mind the prayer," and you know, it's all fine, it's nice, and you know, he, he kind of is okay with the um, the ceremony, the of ceremony it. of it. Yeah. yeah, thank you. Um, but yeah, I, I'm I'm not sure if I can think of a good common thread, though. Honestly, but that anger you said, anger, I think the, the anger that we have to do something about it now. Mm-hmm. Um, Hitchens has always just been a. Uh, antagonist, you know, he's right. that's the, he's made his career or did make his career doing that. Um, so I think he came along. He wrote a book, "God Is Not Great," sort of at the right, right time with the other guys, and and and, uh, and Dan Dennett wrote a book um, as well, uh, "Darwin's Dangerous Idea." Right, and and they all kind of, you know, became the four horsemen um, of, of the new atheist. <laughs> the new atheist yeah. that. So they, so they, um, oh, I'm sorry. The, so the comments are on these new atheists was they, they kind of felt the old atheists were a little too passive, a little too uh, mild, not uh, not militant enough, I guess. Yeah, I think you needed to, to be a little bit more upfront about it. I think was yeah. was the common thread. Well, so being immersed in that environment, being really really close with some of the biggest minds in that field. What were some of the ways that hanging out with those guys made that worldview more attractive to you and less attractive to you? Mm. Well, there's a few things that were really interesting. I, I, I want to bring up one point that like we would go to conferences a lot, you know, where they would, Richard would speak and I'd be asked to go and film stuff. And there was an element where it was interesting to see a big room full of atheists, people who would actually go out of their way to go to a conference to right. about atheism, right? Um, one time Sam gave a talk about, uh, it was kind of like on like an Eastern meditation, uh, how we shouldn't throw the baby out with the bathwater, wow. that we could still have these sort of uh, spiritual experiences uh, as an atheist, and people were not having it. Mm. It was like everybody just kind of clammed up and were like, oh, this this is too much. What are you doing, Sam? And and that was really interesting, you know, to think like, wow, like, I, I didn't think it sounded crazy at the time. This is probably like 2007. And it didn't seem like it would seem pretty sane what he was saying at the time. Like, yeah, sure, you could probably improve your mental well-being by taking a few moments to get off your phone. You know? Right. So, and, uh, but yeah, there's definitely this, 
the worldview is materialism, right? Mm -hmm. There's everything else is out of bounds. And I think that's what really defines that space of, of atheism and people who are willing to go to a conference on atheism. So if you insinuate any sort of spirituality, then you're an outlier in that yes. realm. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And that, that was kind of eye opening, I think for me, um, there was kind of this weird thing about being very close to these guys where we, I think for a lot of people, they were celebrities, you know, and, and I did know Richard from his books. I, I read a good chunk of them. I think almost all of them before I met him. Um, but it was kind of a weird celebrity environment, which mm. also was kind of odd to be a part of. And, mm. and uh, I guess now more so you see it everywhere. You know, there's, yeah. there's all sorts of little pockets on the internet, right? right. Of people who have their own little ecosystems of, of popularity and, you know, and um, so after a while I kind of felt like, oh, I'm, I'm in one of those pockets. I can see that, you know, and I'm kind of working in this little space and mm -hmm. which can be odd. Yeah. Did it, was it positive? Like, did it feel good to be like, oh, I'm with these important men? Yeah, at, at some level, yeah. sure. Yeah, you know, okay. you felt like it was, you know, it was fun to go places and yeah. uh, and travel. And, you know, we got to go to Galapagos and, you know, film a bunch of stuff there. That was great. Um, traveling, you know, we got to go around the U.S. a few times and yeah. things like that. So it, it was definitely fun and felt important to do something like that. But uh, I mean, now I, I should say like, I feel terrible about it yeah, now. Yeah, I like I feel like I, <laughs> I always on, leave that part yeah. out. We're right? getting to that. I should say I feel bad. Yes. <laughs> the person calls it an industry. There was a, a writer who was a little bit critical about the time, called it the evolution industry. Mm. Yeah. And that it's, it's, it's built up its own little culture. Uh, and there's a, there's, she alludes that there's a financial element to mm. it that's very lucrative and it can be that way. Did, did you see that or at all? Well, it's definitely the bread and butter for these guys, yeah. you know, and I think that's, that can seep in, you know, and, you know, there's, there's definitely an element of atheism sells more than science, you know, and uh, mm -hmm. we could get into the weeds of this one a bit. <laughs> you know, there's, <laughs> there's certain projects and things where I think the people that come in around someone like Dawkins mm -hmm. uh, that would be in his orbit really uh, came there because of the atheism a lot of times. And when I was working on a lot of video projects, we would do stuff for the website. Um, we did this one called the Baloney Detection Kit with Michael Shermer. And uh, it was kind of just more his standard skeptic right. content, right? Where it's talking about detecting baloney. Then we did one with uh, Brian Green, who talks about the multiverse theory and physics, mm -hmm. right? And we did that little video and there was all this pushback from the people around Richard at the time that were sort of coming on board in that area that were like, why are we doing this? You know, what, what's yeah. the point of this? And I was like, well, I thought we were reason and science. Like this was right. at the time mm -hmm. I was thinking that this was all part of what we were all on board to do. And right. But it was clear like, no, if we're, if we're not punching God, why are we here? Right. Mm -hmm. kind of, you felt that. You yeah. Know? That's hard. So yeah. you had one massive shift that we already talked about where you were in the church and then all of a sudden, boom, you're out and you're an atheist but that wasn't the last major shift in your life. So can you tell us a little bit, there was another major shift that happened at the end of your time with Dawkins. Can you kind of talk a little bit about that? Yeah, I'll, I'll try to keep this part short. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, yeah. So I, um, at a certain point in like 2010, um, I was looking to exit from that space. Um, you know, I'll put it this way. There was some impropriety in that 
that existed. And when I said, I don't, I don't want to be part of this anymore. I, I want to step away. The response was, well, then we're going to accuse you of a bunch of impropriety. So you can't walk away clean mm. and we'll make sure you never work in this town again, kind of a thing. Mm. And so I had a nice fun three year legal battle uh, where they sued my company, um, which my company was the one who did all the like the t-shirts and like the a lapel pins and all these little things that we did, uh, um, uh, merchandise in the U S uh, for all, a lot of his stuff. So, uh, he sued my company. We fought it for three years. We won. And, uh, that was a really painful struggle. And, you know, one of those things where, you know, don't get in a lawsuit. <laughs> you can avoid it. It's not fun. Note taken. Uh, you know, and it's and we were kind of forced. Our hand was forced that we had to fight it. So, um, thankfully, we prevailed and everything worked out. You know, I had all the emails to back up that what they were saying was not true. Um, and so, uh, at the end of that, um, I was still an atheist. I, I wasn't. Uh, you know, I think really what happens in a situation like that, you're just glad to be out of it, and you just start moving on with your life mm-hmm. and. I wasn't really stopping to reevaluate my worldview, say like, who, you know, who am I? What, what was this all about? And right. you just I, want to get moving. You yeah. Know. I, I, I kind of call it the Netflix syndrome too. Like there's so many distractions just ready for, for our consumption, right? Immediately mm-hmm. in life. So it's so easy just to go start going to work, start entertaining yourself again. So we don't and have to think. Exactly. Yeah. You just get in the grind. Right. And you stop thinking about big questions. I was that way probably for, uh, that was quite a while, you know, um, from about 2010 to 2020, really. Mm-hmm. So um, a lot of life in there too, yeah. you know, um, working as a software engineer. My daughter was born in there. So like the whole bunch of stuff. Um, but then uh, 2020 rolled around and that was kind of the big shakeup for me mm-hmm. um, where uh, I lived in Portland, Oregon. I don't know if you guys watch the news. Mm-hmm. Uh you shouldn't, but you may have. <laughs> but the, uh, there was a lot that happened in Portland that year. And we were kind of at the epicenter of a lot of things that happened. And I looked around and I saw where there was a clear separation between what people were okay with and what I was okay with. I, I'm not on the same page. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, now I look at it and I'd say, well, these are sins. You know, stealing, looting is a sin, you know. Yeah. Um, um, killing or uh, violence, you know, like all these things that were going on in my city uh, were clearly wrong and people were, were condoning them or supporting them. You know, people that I thought I knew. I'm like, well, I'm not on the same page as you guys, you know. And I think before I sort of found my way uh, back to Christ, I was more realizing the morality divide. And I was right. like, oh, wait, I'm in this bucket. Like th- this is what I believe. I believe killing is wrong. I believe stealing is wrong. You know, I I I, I do think that uh, these things are a sin that I'm I'm watching. And you're like, oh boy, like I'm what what am I doing? Mm-hmm. And I think that's where it really opened the door to being led. Uh, and we decided to move. We moved to Waco, Texas. So a little south of you guys. Yeah, mm-hmm. glad and you got to Texas as soon as you could. They, yeah, that's what they say, <laughs> Made right? It here eventually. Yeah. Yep, I wasn't born here, but I got here as soon as I could. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so uh, that was kind of the big life change that got me to uh, isolate, rethink things, and uh, put myself in a new environment to actually uh, 
make such a big change. You know, I think a lot of times it's hard to do that maybe when you're with other friend groups, mm -hmm. other coworkers, um, people in your life that you may think, oh, what are they going to think if I'm rethinking this, you know? Mm -hmm. And, uh, but that's where it started, you know, and we, uh, me and my wife were sort of going through this, just thinking about what was going on. And, and it was more the repulsion of evil mm -hmm. than anything. Mm -hmm. Just seeing that like, I'm not a part of that. I don't want anything to do with that. And you start to see that there, it's not just a secular divide. It's, it's uh, like, what's with all of the, the satanic elements? Right. What, what's with this evil undertone to everything? Why do you have to pick that that you're celebrating and uh, promoting? And so that was all kind of the, the water in the face. Mm -hmm. And um, we were talking about church more for my daughter than anything at the time. We started discussing it like, what do you think about if we went to one of these, you know, like we looked at the cowboy church, you know, near us and we're like- Welcome to Texas. Yeah, <laughs> we thought, well, you know, like I said, that's just weird enough maybe that we could uh, be okay with that. You know, it sounds just off the beaten path. Mm -hmm. We could try it. And so we did. And yeah, we went there as atheists and thinking, you know, we thought it was crazy to sit in the back and, and listen and, but we were being led absolutely in that moment. And, and we started that journey of evaluating things as an adult, I would say really for the first time, you know, like as a child, was I really evaluating? No, I wasn't actually considering these big questions, you know? Right. Um, and so for me, the journey was more about, uh, I would say I was evaluating Jesus. And I think that was the, the toehold for me to the rest of understanding. Mm -hmm. um, because as an atheist, it's easy. I think a lot of times you'll hear them keep Jesus at arm's length. They'll say, he probably never existed. That's the easiest one. That's like yeah. keeping him way over there, right? Well, we, we don't even think he really was a man. Um, but if you do a little bit of homework, you can, you can start to see that there is good evidence that he lived. And that's step one that you can see he was a person who lived, that he is a historical figure, you know, then you have to evaluate what he said. And, you know, it, do, you, do you hear what he said? Do you believe what he said? Do you believe he is who he says he is? Mm -hmm. You know, and from there uh, it was, well, he speaks of the Old Testament. He speaks of the Bible. You know, he speaks of the scriptures that he, that existed in his time. So all of that opens from Jesus for me where you see that I have to take this seriously. I can't just, uh, I can't just dismiss it like mm -hmm. I did as an atheist and say, well, I watched a DVD that said he probably never existed. I can keep that at arm's length. So uh, yeah, some big books for me have been uh, Case for Christ, Lee Strobel, and then Cold Case Christianity. It's another one that I really liked. Um, J. Warner Wallace. Understanding that you can trust the historical record of the gospels is a big step, mm -hmm. you know? And I would say to anybody who's an atheist now, the, the most important thing I would want to convey to them is to say, don't outsource your evaluation of Jesus. Mm. Do that work yourself. Like me as a Christian, I'm telling you, that's the most important thing that you'll ever do. Think about that. Yeah. Don't turn that over to a popular science book or a DVD or something you see on YouTube or Netflix. Let that be something that you evaluate and put in the time to actually consider yeah. and understand. Um, and I'm telling you that's super important. <laughs>
That is important. How do you know, um, you said that Richard Dawkins was a really good storyteller mm. and that he, he wove these great stories. And I, I agree. Yeah. I mean, he's, he's probably a master at that. How do you know these other books that you were reading <laughs> well, weren't just good stories weren't too, good stories. you know, you know, they're, they're, yeah. boom, boom, that this is, what, what's, what's different? Yeah, well, I think the big thing, um, you know, like, what, first of all, with Richard and his books, um, and I don't know if we'll get into the evolution stuff later, but, the, but I think yeah. the big thing with him is that there's a, a lot of saying this could be how it happened, but we obviously have no way to tell. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. There's a lot of saying this is plausible and and if you listen to the story and you say, yeah, that sounds like it could have happened. Okay, I, I buy that. And that, that's essentially what I, what I would consider an evolution popular science book. Um, extremely dumbed down version. <laughs> uh, but with, uh, I think with a lot of apologetics around the gospels, what we're looking at is trying to date things, you know, specifically. And we're saying, we know that there is um, these gospels or these books in the New Testament that reference Jesus when were they written? How can we tell when they were written? Um, and understanding that they were written very close to the time after Jesus's life is important because that that means that they can't make the argument that it was many hundreds right. of years later, mm-hmm. that, they, that these were probably just, you know, uh, made up or had evolved. Yeah. Stories. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I think that's mostly what it is. It's, it's about authenticating the gospels we have that everybody knows of in the Bible and to say that we can trust those as as historical accounts. Yeah, yeah, that's a that's a good point because, as Lauren said, the other, you know, just at the beginning, the the stereotype is is that you have faith, but scientists have fact. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But then mm-hmm. when it came time for you to evaluate it, um, it looked like a lot of Dawkins's books were based on faith, and what you're the books you're reading on, they're looking at historical records, they're looking at, at facts, and uh, yeah, and the facts in the in in the science and the history, it sounds like we're in the books you're reading. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, I know it's a little bit of a flip. Yeah. Yeah, and and I think you know we can get into the 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 science side of it. I think a bit more for sure because there's so much to talk about with mm-hmm. the picture of science. They want to paint it as one single picture, but there's clearly two big spheres. There's the laboratory science right. and then the historical science. Mm-hmm. And Dawkins plays in the historical science most of the time, right. which is a worldview uh, interpreted um, mm-hmm. story that is, you know, yes, there are things he's referencing that are like, you know, what, what's the science we can do in the laboratory with, with uh, biology? Like we can, we can look, right. we can dissect, we can uh, look at the genetic sequence, we can we can look at things and, and we can look at a group of things and we can make inferences about relationships, but we can't actually go back in time. Right. Uh, and that's the big divide that I didn't have that picture mm-hmm. ever. I, I don't think even being um, working for Dawkins for, for years and that understanding of, Hey, this is something that is different. You know, they want to lump it all together because mm-hmm. you know this one's pretty strong and this one maybe not, not so, so much. Strong. Well, that does lead to the to the question. Uh, as someone who was an atheist, I mean, as an atheist, the the general overarching belief is: Hey, Big Bang, evolution, uh, thirteen billion years. Uh, this is this is what is true. Um, but. If that is historical science, what you're saying is that, th- that there's some storytelling going on there. Uh, mm. So can we talk about your, uh, we'll say, um, just like transition to maybe uh, believing, hey, 
that's not all there is. Uh, maybe the historical account of scripture, you know, uh, young earth, uh, maybe that's what's really what we see. Yeah. Let, let me try to tell this story. <laughs> my, my whole, Cause this, I, I think this is such, man, this is one of those things when I think back to it, like it's something that I think is a struggle in, in society to talk about, mm-hmm. man. Cause there's such pressure for the secular worldview, right? Um, one of the things though, first of all, that has really helped me in the last few years is just how I feel like we've peeked behind the curtain in so many things in the world and seen that, oh yeah, things aren't exactly like they're saying they are. James Webb Space Telescope. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And you go, you know, there's a lot that, you know, maybe they're kind of painting over the, uh, the errors here. Maybe they're, they're telling me something that's not fully true. Um, and the need to reevaluate things has never felt stronger. I, I don't think it's just for me. I think it's for everyone. And so when I first came, you know, recently in, in, uh, in 2020 or so to accepting Christ and saying, I believe Jesus is who he says he is, um, that, you know, he, that he did what he said he did, uh, that he, he died for my sins. Once you internalize all that and you say, wow, that's, that's the, uh, the keystone. Um, and you're like, oh man, but what about everything else? And there's a lot. Yeah. (laughs) What about, you know, what about all the stuff in the Bible that I, I don't know how I'm going to get behind that. Jonah and the whale, you know, uh, the ark, what deep, you know, like time. And there's so much that you say, man, this is just nuts. How am I going to, how am I going to reconcile all of this? And honestly, at first I didn't, I just said, I'm not, I'm not even going to go there because I got the toehold of understanding Jesus as historically somebody who lived is who he says he is. And I wasn't there yet at first, but I think it was, that was the beginning of the journey to actually understand these things and to say that, you know, I don't know what I'm going to find from there. Um, and a lot of it was obviously investigating apologetics resources, uh, like what you guys do, you know, um, answers in Genesis, another great one that I love, um, where when you start to dig into it, you can start to see like, well, maybe I only had that sort of middle level understanding of evolution um, that was enough for me to accept it. But did I really fully understand what I was buying into at the mm-hmm. time? Um, and I think that's kind of what we get into at, at the university level. And if you go to talk to any average college age kid, um, they'll say, oh yeah, it sounds feasible. Oh, it's much more feasible than a, than a God who just made everything. That sounds like a cop-out. Whereas this Some says, sort of fairy tale. Yeah. yeah. Whereas the evolutionary story is, see there's steps and it's complicated. And you know, the story is, has a lot of meat to it. And the, and yeah, someone like Richard writes a great story about it. You know, um, the ancestor's tale is a huge book talking about evolution and you know, how he weaves this whole thread about how things could have happened. And, um, a, a book like Climbing Mountain Probable, which which yeah. we could talk about actually, I think has a lot of good arguments against evolution in it, but he he talks about how um, it has to be this steady climb up the mountain and how it can't ever go down in evolution because that would be not selected for, right? Um, these are good stories, you know, and it's compelling to somebody who maybe is coming from a simplistic 
Christian upbringing that hasn't hasn't delved into apologetics or the science of it, and then they're presented with that, and it seems more plausible because it sounds more complex. Like maybe I have to be smarter to know this. Mm. I think that's kind of the big selling point. Um, yeah. So I think for me, um, the big things that start to unravel are when you start looking at. I mean, the biggest thing is time, is deep time. It's the, this thing is going to make everybody angry if you start talking about it, right? So that's the best one to get into. You know? <laughs> let's make people mad. Let, let's, yeah. let's drive that YouTube engagement up. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> we'll drive that stake in. We yeah. got to. That's that's where we are, right? Um, and understanding that it is the pillar upon which everything stands. The whole thing about the historical science and understanding that you can't know those initial conditions were so many things that they they confidently tell you that you can know. And you go, oh, wait a minute. And when you start realizing that a lot of the, um, the dating techniques and things like that, that they're, that they're basing deep time on, are it, it's all just assumptions of, of uh, initial state that you can't prove. Um, well, I think what you said about the difference between historical and lab science is so key. And so many people don't see that. Like we see comments on social media all the time, people being like, that's not what happened. This is what happened. Mm. Well, did you do that in a lab? How do you know that? It's because so-and-so told yeah. you their assumption that this happened. And I've told this story before, but I was in a fairly famous science museum that um, approaches things from an evolutionary perspective. And I was curious, they were talking about rock layers. So I went over and there was a fossil that they had on display. So I went over to the volunteer there at the museum and asked them, so how did y'all come up with this age for this fossil? And they said, oh, well, it's because it's in this rock layer. I'm like, okay, well, how did you come up with the age of that rock layer? And she was like, well, because this fossil's in it. I'm like, that is completely <laughs> circular. <laughs> and it's yeah. all assumption based. And a lot of people don't realize that that's such a key difference between seeing something happen right in front of your face versus getting either an eyewitness account, which we have in scripture um, with God telling us how the creation happened or being able to test that actually in a laboratory without making assumptions based on where it came from. A and, lot of people don't see that. And not only that, but the further back you push it, the more convoluted it becomes. Um, I mean, maybe this is just me, but I have trouble comprehending even just like 150 years. Like to imagine like that that is birth and death and then some, you know, like that is several generations um, and, and maybe that just speaks to my limited ability to comprehend. But when you start throwing out like, okay, now millions of years, okay, that's, that's really complicated. Uh, that's a really long time ago. Oh, no, wait, now multiple billions of years. So the further back you push it, the like, it's almost like easier to say like, hey, this, is, this happened. And it's like, well, it's billions of years ago. I, I don't understand that, but they're smart. They, they must, yeah. Yeah, yeah the, the big thing is, is that they need the deep time for extremely improbable events, mm -hmm. right? And they need a lot of them to accumulate. So that's the game. Uh, you know, like in computer science, we talk about brute force algorithms where you just try something over and over again. And that's what they're claiming uh, natural selection is. Someone like Richard Bull, that's that's the bread and butter of mm -hmm. what he, he's claiming in the evolutionary worldview. So if, you, if you're just gonna try something over and over, over, and over again, you need a lot of time mm -hmm. and Everybody knows that's that sounds crazy if you're talking about any amount of time that we can we can fathom. But if you say, well, no, 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 but just multiply that times like a gabillion, you say, oh, okay, yeah, sure, sure it happened. 
you know, that's all you're doing. And when you, uh, even if you look at the evolutionary timeline that they say, that they claim, um, and if you look at the idea of a beneficial mutation, even that falls apart. Even if you give them the millions of years that they want. Um, you know, there was a great example. Uh, it was J.B.S. Haldane who had, who had proposed this originally about that there just wasn't enough time if you take something from like an ape-like ancestor to humans where, um, you know, the amount of, of mutations that you need in that time, if you start breaking it down, you say, well, how many uh, generations are there between this supposed ancestor? How many mutations can you, you know, beneficial mutations, how often are you seeing that? Mm -hmm. um, and even if you give them that time, you know, uh, for how long it would take a, to get a beneficial mutation, you get like about 10% of what you think they claim happened. Mm. Um, it doesn't actually add up if you sit down with a calculator and do the math. So those are the kind of things that I didn't see until I actually started digging at this. Um, the whole idea of a beneficial mutation, I think, is is something to get into as well. Yeah. Well, you know? that's what I was gonna ask Dr. G, because this is something you are so passionate about. I would say it's one of the things you're most passionate about. And why do people from the evolutionary point of view have to have this deep time? Um, why do they need that? And are these mutations even plausible? Could that even have happened? Yeah, great question. And you actually answered it. You said they they need a lot of time to overcome extremely improbable events. And that's it. So mm -hmm. you Winning the lottery is is a very improbable event, but if you get a chance to pick a million tickets per day, right, and <laughs> and, and you get the chance get to pick a lot pretty soon, everybody believes, oh, eventually he'll get it. This will mm -hmm. happen on that. So the time is to overcome mm -hmm. the extreme improbability of something happening. And as Trey said, it it just blows your mind. You can't even begin to comprehend these things. So it it, it puts up a big smoke screen in people's minds altogether. And the whole idea from mutation really in many ways is to point to a mechanism which sounds so anti-design. Mm -hmm. If there really was a creator, would he actually make things through broken, random changes, things that happen like that? And since the evolutionists tell us that that's a mechanism, then it's it, it not only you need the time, but it sounds so anti-design inherently. It's like, um, this mechanism, if it's true, is so crazy, no engineer would ever do it. There must not be a God. It, it just it just has this flavor of, of being so anti-theistic mm -hmm. to it. The question as I'm listening to you come up is, why weren't you more skeptical earlier? Mm. I mean, you're with a bunch of people who call themselves skeptics. Mm. They're skeptics. Yeah. They're supposed to be skeptical. But it sounds like you're describing people who really aren't skeptical. At least they're not skeptical of their skepticism uh, on that. They're, <laughs> no, just they're, they're skeptical level, of Christianity, yeah. but they're yeah. not that skeptical about really asking hard questions and really probing. Mm -hmm. they, they seem to have fallen into a, a rut where they are, they're quite comfortable with this atheistic view. And it didn't sound like you were at that time even questioning it. It took something this change uh, of coming to Christ, which opened your mind to make you start mm -hmm. ask, asking the questions. Why yeah, weren't you asking questions yeah. earlier? <laughs> That's, good. Yeah. That's good. No, I, I think the big thing is, is who you trust to listen to in those mm -hmm. times. You know, when I think back to time working for Richard, I think of someone like Ken Ham, yeah. like, oh man, he was the big idiot. Like we knew yeah. he was the dumbest idiot on the planet, right? That guy, 
would you listen to him for a minute? No, of course not. He, he, yeah. He's a lunatic. So you knew that these people were there, but I wasn't listening to him with any yeah. seriousness, you know? Um, I wasn't president at that time, oh, yeah. so nobody <laughs> was labeling me, unfortunately. Yeah. <laughs> but you would have been, right? Yeah. Yeah. We would have said, yeah, that guy, lunatic. No. So that's where you're at at those, at those times, I think. You, you don't even open yourself to, to that. And you say you are. You say, well, I'm skeptical. You know, I, I'm, I'm open-minded. You're open-minded, yeah. But I think the thing that I notice is that those really strong Christian voices, like Ken Ham, you know, I think of, and, and Ray Comfort, too. You know, he was one that Richard really ridiculed. Yeah. And, and and went into him. And it's like, well, yeah, because those are the ones I think he felt were a threat in a way. Mm-hmm. That, you know, somebody who actually was out there preaching the gospel. Right. You know, he's not afraid of some deist Anglican who wants to have a discussion, you know. Right, and, right. You know, maybe about the fine-tuning of the constants, you know. Right, right. Like, yeah, he, he'll do that. That's that's like, you know, pickleball, you know. Right. <laughs> so <laughs> he's not worried about that. So, yeah, I, I mean, yeah, I, look, I should have been more skeptical. So you just laughed him off. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So you, you, you laughed off these guys, and 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 really a non-scientific approach. You just marginalized them without yeah. really considering what they were saying in some ways. And so, what you're pointing out is the the crowd you were hanging out with at that time really aren't engaging their brain. They're really not looking at all the issues very very seriously for themselves, and they've they've slipped into their own like faith or religion in some ways. Yeah. Yeah, I, I mean, that's something that to to realize that you haven't been as skeptical as you claimed you were. Um, I, I mean, I think it's very easy for us to fall into group scenarios, you yeah. know, and, uh, and to not look at things objectively. You know, that's mm-hmm. very, it's very easy to, uh, I mean, look, there's a lot of hero worship in that space. There's a lot of Someone might Authority. be listening to you right now. What would you say to them? I mean, if they're, if they're listening to this podcast right now and they're thinking, hey, hey, hey I can identify with where he is, uh, what would you say? Yeah, I, I mean, I would say don't let somebody ridicule a voice out there. You know, don't let them close off that door for you just because somebody says, oh, they're so far beneath consideration. Yeah. I think that's what ends up happening. You know, it's the ridicule and the slander. Um, say, no, it, if, if somebody's doing that to another voice, that that's probably where you should be looking mm. and seeing what they're actually saying. And if it's nonsense, you'll you'll figure it out pretty fast. Yeah. Um, but at least give it an honest try. Give right? it a shot, yeah. Uh, give it a fair shake. And when we talk about religions, um, you know, as sort of a big group, not just Christianity, um, and people say, oh, that's a religion. We use that phrase a lot with sort of a cult behavior or a group behavior. There are certainly a lot of human group behaviors that can come into any religion, but they can come into any kind of group. Mm -hmm. And a group like atheism and sort of its following, um, it's not that it's a religion, it is just a group that has all of those same tendencies where people follow leaders, put people on pedestals, and... um, and shut off their brain sometime. Well, and it's interesting because that does describe a religion. (laughs) And I know Dr. Galuzzo has talked to us a lot about how atheism, evolutionary theory, all of those things, they aren't anti-religion. They like to say that they are. Mm. They're just replacing one religion or many religions with a different religion. Mm. Instead of a person, their God is nature. And that's what's making everything happen in our universe. That's the definition of worshiping a God, Mm. is saying this thing or this being or this entity is doing all this stuff. 
And I appreciate even just working here at ICR, I have personally gotten to learn a lot more about I, I did fall into, even though I was raised in a Christian home and my parents were very proactive in telling us the differences between creation and evolution and how the evidence falls with creationism. At the same time, I had to wrestle with that too because you get preached at all the time from the mm -hmm. culture that science is non-religious. It's completely unbiased. That's just mm. not the case. It's another religion. Yeah, and, it is. It is. And not only that, like nature worship has been a thing Forever, a long time. <laughs> forever. Yeah. This is nothing new. It's just taken a new, more scientific, if you will, form. It's it's got new trappings, new robes, better whatever, better storytelling. But it's still the same thing. Yeah. yeah. So. Yeah. The other thing I would say to somebody who is in the atheist world, I would say, I think the way you you need to see what your your worldview is based on is materialism. Mm -hmm. That's really the box that you have said. I can't let anything come outside of this box. That all of my explanations, all of my understandings have to be in this space. And realize that's what you've done. And that's not skepticism. No, <laughs> you've eliminated anything that goes outside of that and are unwilling to consider those things. You are being closed-minded to anything that is not materialism. Step back and uh, think for a second, get away from the TV and your phone and, and think about your human experience, think about your consciousness and realize there's plenty more than materialism. Um, even as an atheist, you should be able to see the wonder of your own existence uh, and your mind that, that this is not something to take for granted. And it's so easy to do when you just go through the motions every day, step back, go, wow, there, there is more than materialism. Like I'm thinking, I'm sitting here in my room thinking about something. That should impress you. That's that I a miracle. Can, that is a miracle. I, I can be here or I can be over there in a few minutes. And the me that is my mind is has moved with my body. Like this, this is these are things that we get so accustomed to and uh and are miracles that we need to acknowledge. And even an atheist should be able to do that and say, it's not just a universe of of little um, automatons moving around on this planet. You know, we are actually individuals, we're beings, uh, and that we all have this individual experience that no one else can have. Uh, C.S. Lewis said something funny about it, like, he goes, I, um, I know what it's, I don't know what it's like to be a rock, but I, I, I do know what it's like to be a human, you know, <laughs> to be a person. And that it's, don't, t you know, you can't take that away from you. Mm -hmm. uh, they can't take that away from you. It's such an am amazing thing. Um, even as a materialist, you should still have that in your mind that this is something special. What are your thoughts, Dr. G? I know you have some. Well, yeah, the, <laughs> yeah. You, know, you know, I've spoken to a lot of people that were in your shoes in the past, and you can ask them questions. And many times they'll say, well, we don't have an answer on that, but we're making good progress to mm. getting an answer towards those things. And I suspect Richard Dawkins has those same answers. We don't know yet, but we're making good progress yeah. And they give you the feeling that the answer is just around the corner. It's mm. it's it's just it's coming. It's coming and and then then you'll get your answer and and after I have about 5 or 6 of these and they're all waiting and waiting, I usually ask them, well, well how long are you going to wait to get these answers? Are you going to go to your grave hoping hoping against hope that you're going to get answers to some of these questions, you know, origin of life and so on and so mm -hmm. forth. Yeah. Uh, how how did you ever how did you deal with those kinds of things? Well, I think back then I would always approach those as like, well, that's the smart thing to say. 
That's the thing yeah, where yeah. the intelligent guy says, we're, we're just, we're going to withhold judgment. It's okay that we don't know, right? And I think right. that's Very political. Mm, yeah. 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 And it's a way to, uh, it's a way to not have an answer, but still feel like, you know, it, it's, it's like a, p- a piece of humility. You mm-hmm. know, like I, I don't know, mm-hmm. therefore I'm, uh, uh, I'm allowing that just to be not known right now. It, it's, also just like kicking the can just a little further down the road also. Yeah, that's, I don't have that answer. And even if I don't, someone else may figure it out. And if they don't, that's okay too. You know, so it's like, what do we know, right? Right. Well, and it's the whole thing about, it has to be in the materialism box Mm -hmm. for for my answer to come through, right? right? And something like abiogenesis where, um, you know, just give it enough time and, you know, enough soup that it's going to happen is the desire, right? Um, And there's no way for us to to really say anything more than tell that story. And um, that's the prevailing story in the secular worldview, right? Um, but it has to be in that box. And they'll say, well, if you want to evoke God, then you're the one who's, who is uh, appealing to something uh, which isn't fair, you know, mm-hmm. they'll try to say. Um, and the way I like to flip that on its head is to say, well, I know Jesus lived, died, rose again. That's the really important part for me. And I know that I trust the biblical account because of that. Mm-hmm. And, and that's the, that's the toehold that I, I stand with. And then I'm not going to throw that out because you think this could have been, or this could have been the preconditions for this experiment that, you know, all this could have been, I'm not, you know, it's like, that's the part that's, um, that's rock solid for me. And I'm not going to throw any of that out for a could have or, or mm. maybe might have. It's like, do you want to stake your eternal destiny on somebody else's assumption of what might be there or might be found eventually? Right. No, Oof. I want to stake it on someone who is actually there and can tell me what happened. Yeah. And that's the Lord Jesus Christ. And he tells us in the Bible, I don't want to stake my eternal destiny. And I would ask our viewers and listeners, do you really want to stake your eternal destiny on what somebody else assumes might have been sometime in the past. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And exactly. It's, it's such a web, isn't it, that they I that know. they weave about all those little details and so many could haves or or maybe that uh you know, we we presume that this is what happened, but there's so much of it. Mm-hmm. It it's painted so completely over the uh the secular worldview that um at a certain point, people just kind of give up, I think. They say, well, I'm not going to try to dig into all that. Because they know. hear it all the time. It's yeah. tiring. It wears you down. But all it takes is one of those could-haves to not could-haved, and then all of a sudden, right. everything falls apart. Because they need the full picture. Mm-hmm. If you don't have the full picture, then everybody goes, well, the world's clearly designed. It's clearly functioning amazingly. Uh, so You know, a yeah. bird's wing, you know, yeah, right. a baby, all this. And you go, yeah, that's amazing. Um Oh no! But let let me paint this massive, big picture with with so many different tentacles into so many different things that you know, yeah. uh, and they need it all. They yeah. can't have any of it fall apart. The biggest, most complex story, just storytelling. Yeah, it, yeah. Well, but you mentioned one thing in your your testimony that was so true of today. You said recently we've been able to look behind the curtain more and more. You know, the curtain we look and and suddenly you realize. Oh, these scientists have an agenda. They're not yeah. these objective, uh, follow the facts wherever no, they trust lead the kind of guys. And <laughs> trust the science and trust the science. And, and if you get this, you won't get COVID. If you get this, you do. Mm-hmm. And then and 
And um, you ended up having this divide where they would say, follow the science. And pretty soon you couldn't even tell what the science even was. Mm -hmm. It was so mm -hmm. all over the place that that I think a lot of people finally saw that scientists have, a, have an agenda. Yeah. They are not these objective seekers of truth. And they're trying to push something as well. Yeah, I, I think that's the big thing people need to separate in their minds is that there is the scientific method, which is a tool like a hammer. And then there is the scientific establishment or the industry of science, mm -hmm. right? And uh, the scientific establishment is an industry of men just like any other, right? And it still has any of the follies of men that uh, any of the other ones will have. So there's suppression, there's uh, um, favoritism. Uh, pride. There's, yeah, pride. There's um, or a desire for a certain worldview to be true in science. You know, I think that there's you know, that's one that's very easy to overlook, mm. right? Um, the desire for no accountability mm -hmm. is huge in, I think, in all men, right? Uh, who, who, <laughs> you know, who, who want to, who want to live in sin. That's, that's it, right? Just want to do what you want to do, do, right? So that desire uh, seeps into everything. And yeah, we've seen behind the curtain recently uh, in a way that hopefully is fresh in people's minds. I just hope it it knocks a few people a bit yeah. and says, you know, you see what they're doing. Mm -hmm. You know, you see, you know, I actually, um, in 2007, uh, I shot a documentary called The Four Horsemen. It was a discussion with Richard, Sam, Dan Dennett, and Hitchens at his Hitchens house. And I remember in it, there was a, a bit where uh, Dan Dennett, this is so all pre-COVID, right? You know, right. he's talking about like, oh, well, you know, this... Uh, this whole thing about how we know what's true. It's like, well, I don't know certain things because I don't know the science, but I trust that this, yeah. you know, it's been peer reviewed and that um, the people who who would be able to, dis to disprove it haven't disproven it. Mm -hmm. And so he's trusting that system. You know, he's completely, right. and, you know, he talks about um, how, to, how to get certain voices off the table. You know, he, yeah. a little bit where he talks about, you know, we need to, you know, we need to make sure that, you know, like these crazy creationists and people don't even get a seat at the table. Mm. We only have serious minds when we're mm -hmm. having these big discussions and certain things. And now when you see that in light of the, the COVID era, let's call right. it, you go, wow, that didn't turn out very well. Like you kind of got everything you wanted in exactly. a way, like where it was just full control uh, of the narrative. And, and, and you just see how easily the, uh, the sins of men can just bleed into anything mm. and just suddenly corrupt how, um, you know, something like science where, you know, we'd all love to think that it's all just this pure, you know, ivory tower, uh, oh, you know, nothing can touch it. We're all just going to uh, yeah. do the right thing. But, and, you know, the tools that they use to control the narrative, the tools yeah. that they use to marginalize dissenting voices and voices that they didn't want to hear and yeah. a narrative that they weren't considering, those tools were practiced and sharpened on creationists. Oh yeah. <laughs> For 50 years, right. that's where they, they refined their game and everybody was kind of silent mm. as long as it was happening to creationists, you know, that you're marginalized. You're not gonna be able to talk at the table. Mm, that's a great point. And then suddenly it's like, whoa, those tools are now turned on me. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah absolutely. I call it the, uh, you know, and it's this thing we should all know instinctively 
that these things go on behind the scenes, that it's not perfect. They present right. the perfect facade right. and there's stuff going on behind. I call it the Taco Bell drive-through syndrome, right? Mm. Uh, <laughs> yeah. You just assume everything inside is we going assume up, everything's right? going great there, right? <laughs> but if you making, step inside, you know it's not. <laughs> if you've worked there, if you stepped in there, you go, oof, yeah, I don't know. I don't know if you'd eat there. And that's kind of how these institutions are, you know? There are things behind the scenes that we all kind of know are probably happening that, uh, you know, but we kind of just turn a blind eye because we'd all like to think that they're, that they're clean and above board. Yeah. yeah. So we've talked a lot about where you've been and where you've come from, where you're at now. What are you up to today? For instance, I know you wore this t-shirt uh, on yeah. purpose. <laughs> Bibles and barbells. Uh, uh, I've started, it's a uh, men's group in, in Waco, Texas, where we do part uh, barbell training uh, and lifting and then part Bible study. So uh, go to biblesandbarbells.com and uh, we're looking to start up new groups in other cities and encourage other men to do the same. We've got tools online to help them figure out a place to do it, how to do it, uh, study guide materials and uh, Bible study materials, things like that. Spiritual, and you can buy a t-shirt too. Spiritual and physical training. Yes, yes absolutely. Uh, we need strong men. You know, yeah. If we're going to be ambassadors for Christ, we, we should look the part. And, uh, and uh, we're doing too much sitting in this world, I think, in general. So <laughs> yes. it's good to get up and, and do some lifting. And uh, you know, young men, it's just been so great to see how they've responded, the people who I've gotten to come out. You know, Some people just hate getting off the couch. Some people don't want to do it. We don't serve any casseroles yeah. with this. You know, wow. so. Uh, but, <laughs> no, no men's breakfast. <laughs> no men's breakfast. Um, I'll, I'll give you an electrolyte and uh, some water and maybe a protein shake, and that's about it. There so, you go. Uh, but it's cool to see you come full circle because I know you mentioned you felt really bad. Um, you feel like you were kind of part of misleading some of those people when you were working with those yeah. guys who believed in evolutionary theory. And yet now you're influencing people for the gospel, for Christ. And that's just really, really sweet to see in all of our lives how Christ just works that redemption and just completely flips our story around. And instead yeah. of bringing glory to ourselves and trying to suck it away from him, instead trying to give that to him as he deserves. So that's Absolutely. really cool to see you come full yeah. circle with that. Thanks. Yeah, I mean, that's the thing. I, I feel terrible about all the things Aww. that are still out there, uh, you know, potentially having negative effects on people, especially young people. Um, Unfortunately, they're not on my YouTube channel, these videos that I can't go remove them. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, some of it, my name has been removed from it because of the lawsuit and all mm -hmm. this. They were quite vindictive and wanted to erase me from that. But uh, I can't get rid of the videos, you know. Uh, but at the same time, uh, I do look at it as an opportunity where, you know, I'm here talking to you guys mm -hmm. and I'm able to share my story and, you know, uh, figure, you know, I got to do the work God puts in front of me now and uh, however I can. Yeah. That's well, and, and, and that story is not, I mean, your story is pretty unique, but it's not, it's not wholly unique. God has no, a way no. of using, mm -hmm. I mean, I think of Saul slash Paul. I mean, he probably felt bad about some of the things that he did. I hope so. And then, yeah. and then he wrote most of the new Testament. Yeah. So uh, yeah. And, and, and we're just, we're excited to see, you know, I, I think that there is a sort of come around on this. Like, hey, people are starting to see uh, things aren't really as they should be, at least in regard to like evolution and atheism. Because um, I know a lot of people who have just kind of come around and, and started asking questions at least. Mm. Uh, they may not be fully there, uh, they, you know, but uh, at least people who were raised in the church and they're like, they, they strayed, uh, you know, and mm -hmm. they're like, man, 
that seems to make more sense than what I'm living now, you know? Yeah. Uh, so uh, you guys are doing great work with this. I mean, you guys are right on the tip of the spear with this stuff. Uh, I would, I, I the other thing we're talking about suppression of, uh, science. Mm -hmm. You know, you guys just did that podcast episode recently on the soft tissue in mm -hmm. the fossils. I mean, talk about a right a piece of the puzzle. You're like, oh, maybe we should look at that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. but that's kind of a, mm -hmm. an, an outlier from the evolutionary model and the, and the deep time structure there. So um, you guys are doing awesome stuff. I'm just really excited uh, for all that you guys are doing. Well, thanks. You'd be surprised at the YouTube comments. No, you'd actually, you probably <laughs> you wouldn't. You wouldn't be all. surprised. Yeah. <laughs> no, it's yeah. all good, yeah. yeah. Uh, well, um, as we draw this to a close, uh, Dr. G, do you have any final words? Well, first, thanks for coming. It was, it's, it's been a blessing to just get to know you, and you have an interesting story. You have a unique story in many ways. That, that That's what's going to make it engaging for the people to listen to this. Mm. Uh, but you're... I, if I could say anything, you know, you have a unique story, but in many ways, your story is just beginning. Mm. Yeah. And it, you're just ready to, to, to launch, and the influence you're going to have, uh, only the Lord knows what it'll be, but That's it's great. exciting. Yeah. Thanks. Appreciate that. And Josh, do you have any final words to our listeners and viewers? Um, you can see me every Sunday online at Top Hand Cowboy Church on YouTube, uh, playing piano. So uh, awesome. Here's my musical career. A yeah. couple there songs and movies on cable, a bunch of music for Dawkins videos. Now I play at the Cowboy Church. Hey, so. that sounds uh, that sounds like a good place to be now. Oh, so. it's awesome. I love it. I think it's pretty close. I should come visit. Yeah, yeah you should. Yeah. yeah, it's just down a uh, down mills. Uh, someone I was born and raised in Texas. I've never actually been to a cowboy church. Really? Yeah. Really? Oh, it's yeah. great. But it's, I see that you are wearing the boots. You, yes, I do. You, yeah. you were here. You were here. <laughs> Texas is home. So. Thank you. Yeah. yeah. No, Cowboy Church is great. I, I feel like, you know, the worship, worship music is such a huge part. I, I feel like, you know, um, whenever I'm down, you know, feeling glum about anything, you know, start playing some worship songs. I mean, you know, I'm so glad that I have that ability to do it on the piano or, or some instruments. Just sit down and play, yeah. sing. You know, if you can't play, just sing. Uh, you whether know. you're good or not. Yeah, yeah it, it doesn't matter. Theater, God, yeah. <laughs> God loves your voice whether you're good or not. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, that's something that I really feel strongly about. And, I, and I, it's one of those things, I started doing that just in the last year. And I think, man, where has this been in my life? Like, mm. like to, to worship every Sunday like that, uh, it's just like a whole new piece of my life that I feel like I, I wish I'd been doing for 20 years. Okay, well, you're doing it now. Yeah. Right? Yes. yeah. Yes. Awesome. Well, thank y'all so much for being here. Uh, and thank you to all of our viewers and listeners for watching this episode of creation.live. We hope that this has been just a really encouraging uh, conversation and interview uh, with Josh. And uh, we'll see you next time on creation.live.